This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new book, You Can't Be President, The Outrageous Barriers to Democracy in America, our guest today, John R. MacArthur, examines how the electoral system works and doesn't work, why there's so little difference between the Republicans and the Democrats on so many key issues, and why an outsider really doesn't have much of a chance. MacArthur, president and publisher of Harper's Magazine, is an award-winning journalist and author of the acclaimed books, The Selling of Free Trade, and Second Front, Censorship and Propaganda in the Gulf War. Rick MacArthur, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. What's, what's it like? You're in New York right now? Yeah, yeah. Is, the is weather's it... beautiful, and uh, uh, I'm trying to ignore the, the noise on Wall Street. Oh, really? Are they, are they <laughs> shouting that loud now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not that far. Are, are they so. whining? <laughs> yeah, they're whining. There's a lot of whining. So there, so we do have a nation of whiners. Is it yeah, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The biggest whiners are the people who have the the most to lose, yes, actually. Yes, so yes. Um, uh, usually people who have less uh, and have gotten along with less are a little bit more stoic. Uh, yeah, anyway. absolutely. I think you're right about yeah, that. We, yeah, yeah. We've, we've learned. Well, let's see here. Why can't I be president? Well, I use the the title as a as a kind of a catch all for for the inaccessibility uh, to the democratic system that's that's supposedly guaranteed in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. So when we say you can't be, I say you can't be president. Uh, of course, I acknowledge that technically anyone can can be uh, can become president, but that as a matter of fact and broadly speaking, you can't be president any more than you can become. Uh, CEO of a major corporation uh, very easily, or you can become well-educated if you're born poor, or uh, that you can participate in Democratic or Republican Party politics without, A, a lot of money, or, B, uh, sponsorship by the, by the local, your local party establishment, which is very difficult to get into. It turns out uh, uh, that most people... Uh, amateurs are not invited to participate in, in electoral politics, and uh, the way I bring it up to date in the with the with the current campaign is to point out that uh, Obama, far from being a uh, a breath of fresh air, is a product of the Cook County political machine, uh, and that even if you prefer him to McCain, and I certainly prefer him to McCain. Uh, you're kidding yourself if you think this guy is a reformer uh, who could have be who, who who is an exemplar of someone coming from nowhere. I keep trying to tell people, you don't come from nowhere and get to run for office in Chicago or in Cook County. You have to be sponsored. You have to prove your loyalty to the machine. Uh, you have to stay out of trouble uh, when Mayor Daley wants something. Uh, you have to avoid offending him. And then once you get uh, enough. A stature as a loyal party politician, and this is the same in the Republican Party, then the regular party people will turn you on to the, their sources of funding. They'll introduce you to the right people, uh, uh, get you in with the right advisors, make it possible for you to advance in your career. Uh, and we have some spectacular examples. I mean, in California, you have uh, 
uh, Huffington, for example, who had all the money in the world uh, and couldn't get himself elected. In, in Connecticut, that's on the right wing, and in Connecticut, uh, just two years ago, you had uh, Ned Lamont with all the money in the world. It could self-finance his ca- campaign, even won the Democratic Party, and still he couldn't become senator because the regular party uh, split and wanted, uh, wanted uh, Lieberman to stay in. Well, and and, uh, and as far as uh, um, Lamont is concerned, the Republicans, for whatever reason, ran a, a, a guy who was so thoroughly discredited. That certainly didn't help uh, Lamont at all in, in terms of uh, Lieberman was able to pull in a lot of Republican votes. I just right. re- I remember just the guy had been in jail, I think, even. Well, he was actually arrested for card. He was kicked out of an Indian casino. His name was Alan Schlesinger. Yeah. And he was kicked out of a, an Indian gambling casino for card counting. Uh, this guy was such a stumble bum that yeah. the Republicans put him up to guarantee that Lieberman would win. And because they like Lieberman, he's, he's, he's first of all, he's, he's a great friend of Bush's uh, on the war. Yeah. But second of all, he's a reliable party functionary who they're used to dealing with. Lamont uh, was coming from, in, from their point of view, coming from nowhere, and they don't like newcomers. So this is a great example of, of collusion between the Republicans and the Democrats to keep out an insurgent, to keep out a, a, a newcomer. And the irony, of course, is that Obama, who uh, uh, Lamont desperately wanted Obama to make appearances with him after he won the primary, after he beat Lieberman in the primary, Obama had endorsed, so had Clinton, but Obama had endorsed Lieberman before the primary very emphatically, uh, despite his violently pro-war position. And after the primary, uh, the Lamont campaign asked Obama to make appearances with him. Other Democrats asked him to do that. And, and uh, uh, Obama ducked them. He avoided them. He refused to be seen with Lamont because he was afraid of offending the party establishment and, uh, and, and, uh, and looking too much like a reformer. So look what he gets. He gets Lieberman uh, reelected, or he helps Lieberman get reelected, and now Lieberman's endorsed uh, McCain. Yeah, well, the, there, get, yeah. I guess you get what you deserve. Yeah, you right. do. Yeah. There is yeah. some something about karma that does come back on, yeah. on to, to haunt you. And as evidence of some of this collusion that you're talking about, just to to sort of broaden the, that perspective, uh, we're we're coming up on a presidential debate this uh, Friday night, and uh, to the exclusion of. What some uh, many people consider at least a legitimate voice, voices to be heard, that would be Bob Barr, Christina McKinney, and uh, and Ralph Nader are being excluded uh, based on a presidential commission, essentially made it bipartisan, not not multipartisan, but bipartisan commission, which essentially has made a of uh, their business to to make sure that voices like Ralph Nader and Bob Barr's are not, never heard on a presidential. Campaign. The last one was uh, Ross Perot, and it took all kinds of hair pulling to get him into that. Right, Ross Perot is the last guy who was permitted, the last third authentic third party candidate to be, or or third candidate to be admitted into the debates. And of course, the two parties work together. Uh, uh, to they they make the rules. They also make the rules, the election election rules in every state. Uh, and there are. There are considerable barriers just to getting on the ballot uh, in in certain states. They'll challenge your petitions. They'll intimidate your organizers. They'll do. They'll go to court. They'll do everything they can to keep people from having a choice because uh, they, they the professionals feel it's much better to have a kind of cartel 
where you guarantee uh, that each of you gets a share of power. And, uh, and outsiders, again, are not welcome. But I don't want to be just talking about the election. I could also, we could talk about education, sure. lack, lack of class mobility in the country. As I said, you can't be president applies to other walks of life. Uh, um, and one of the things that shocked me about, about the book, I mean, in, in doing the research uh, for the book, was to find how little movement there is between economic classes in this country. Uh, most people want to believe in the dream uh, or the the, uh, the sentimental story of the, the immigrant who gets here and then uh, becomes a billionaire. And, of course, there are a few examples like that. But historically, there's never been much of that in this country, very, very little. Uh, Alexis, Alexis de Tocqueville got it completely wrong. And uh, today, uh, there's even less social mobility than there was 35, 40, 50 years ago, and more class stratification. Uh, the only time you have a, a, a lot of movement between classes is with massive government intervention, like with the GI Bill after World War II. That moved a lot of people from the lower middle class into the upper middle class via education. And education is another thing I talk a lot about, because in our education system, we now have a, a kind of hereditary class system, of which uh, Obama is a beneficiary. Uh, I'm not saying he comes from a wealthy background. He did not. But he comes from an educated background. In other words, his mother was a Ph.D. in anthropology, and she made damn sure that he went to the best private schools that she could get him into. And that's what sends Obama on his way. If he's an ordinary uh, uh, black kid uh, or half-black kid going to an ordinary public school in a lousy neighborhood in a big city in L.A., New York, or anywhere, uh, he doesn't have the same chance. Now, his kids, because he's had the benefit of this uh, excellent private education, will have a much better life uh, because they inherit his educational um, uh, sort of stature or status. We're speaking with John R. MacArthur. The book is You Can't Be President. Go ahead, Mike. And, and I was just going to follow on on that. Is, is part of what you're is, in, inherent in what you're saying is that this educational system, these opportunities that are these places that afford people like uh, Barack Obama the opportunity to become president uh, are also in a, cultural, a culturalization of the person. They, are, they acquire the, sort of the, the, uh, the perspectives and the bearing of those people who are the moneyed interest in this, in this country. Is that part of what's going on here? Well, that's what Noam Chomsky would say, and I'm not, I don't disagree with him necessarily. The uh, there are examples of people who overcome their their backgrounds and and they and become more broad-minded and and more uh, um, you know, they change themselves. But everything about Obama, including uh, his book, The Audacity of Hope, suggests that he's much more comfortable in the milieu of the investment banker, the Wall Street uh, tycoon, the international corporate lawyer, than he is. Uh, necessarily with the poor people he used to organize in Chicago. He says in the book, uh, uh, the more I raised money from these people, the more I spent time with them, the more comfortable I got with them, and the more I worried about for, uh, uh, forgetting or leaving behind the people I, I, I thought I went into politics to help. Uh, everything about Obama now, uh, including his, his, you know, his very sort of muted reaction to the, to the Wall Street crisis, suggest to me that the bankers who are funding his campaign 
and advising him that people like Robert Rubin are telling him to keep, to keep quiet. And he's in a straitjacket. The question you're asking me is, did he design the straitjacket or was it put on him? Uh, Chomsky would say that, you know, coming up through this educational system that he came up through, uh, the straitjacket is sort of inherent. It, it, forms, it forms itself around you as you come up through that kind of a system. Well, yeah, and, and, you're, and you're absolutely right in, in the sense that uh, he has been, I mean, he has struck sort of a populist tone of hel- holding people accountable. But, and it's only recently come to light, at least in, in, on my radar, just how much Barack has surrounded himself with the Robert Rubens and uh, other investment bankers. Uh, and and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a bit unnerving to realize just to what degree he, he finds himself in, in the company of these people. Well, Go- Goldman Sachs is his yeah. number one bundler. Right. Uh, there, and Henry Paulson, the secretary, treasurer, uh, treasury of the secretary, is the former chairman of Goldman Sachs. Uh, uh, if you look at the 20 top contributors uh, in, in ter- by sector or by company, and we're talking about bundled contributions um, uh, between Hillary Clinton's campaign and Barack Obama's, 11 are the same. I mean, and you're talking again: Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, the late the late Lehman Brothers, uh, uh, yeah. Viacom. Actually, it's the holding company is called National Amusements Company. Uh, National Amusements. Um, uh, is- these are the these are the people backing both campaigns, and and. The interesting thing is that John McCain is way behind in terms of uh, of contributions from those sectors. Well, did, well, I, do you think that that has to do with the widely held perspe- widely held opinion that this is a democratic year and that the money goes where they think they they're, they're just they're betting on who they think is going to win, yeah. not and necessarily that they think that. John MacArthur wouldn't do the same. Uh, John MacArthur. John McCain. John McCain, McCain yeah. So sorry. John, okay. John McCain wouldn't do the same things that Barack Obama yes, would do. Yeah, I think, and and the, it's the hedge funds are aptly named hedge funds because uh, they're hedging. Their uh, they're hedging, and and mm-hmm. Obama's way ahead of McCain in, in in contributions from hedge fund partners because they're betting on him winning. Now, uh, of course, he he might not. And, uh, is is this yeah. a is this a failure of our democracy? Is this a failure of our system, or is this just part and parcel to being an empire? That well, you, that, that there's a, there has to be a vetting. The, when the emperor as, as, you know ascends to the throne in the Roman days, I'm sure that they went through a very similar process of, of vetting someone as they move through that process in order to make sure that they had the right bearing to be the emperor. And in it's in, in a similar way, aren't we really vetting the emperor here? In, in terms of the American experience, yes, uh, you got to prove that you're you're no threat to the system, right? To get to the top of the system for sure, and, and so that's the vetting process that McCain and and Obama have to go through. Once in a while, you get a uh, a, a reformer like uh, Howard Dean or Eugene McCarthy, who's sort of comes from the comes from the system, but really takes a different path, and they have to be crushed. And they are crushed. Uh, they are, they're, beaten, they're beaten down by the two parties. Um, but above and beyond the vetting system is the uh, Constitution itself. And I ask in the book, uh, are, are we really prepared to be a self-governing democracy anymore? Is this something people want? I mean, one of my chapters is on war. You talk about empire uh, and, and the effect war has on democracy. And you can see through American history, uh, uh, politicians, particularly incumbents, 
using war as a uh, a tactic for for getting themselves re-election, reelected. And um, I I like to make the comparison between George Bush and William Polk, who started the Mexican American War, because uh, it's they're both very politically opportunistic, and it's clear that uh, Bush. Whatever he thinks about uh, ideologically about whether the United States should democratize Iraq or or uh, run the Middle East or steal the oil or whatever his his principal motive is, uh, uh, it's clear that he and his tacticians understand that empire and war uh, or or perceived threats to uh, American security in times of war. Uh, are, is the, is just the best re-election tactic you can come come up with? The best re-election platform, mm-hmm. and even Abraham Lincoln used it. I mean, he said, "Don't change horses uh, uh, before you cross the stream," or something like that. Uh, in 1864, when he when he ran for re-election, he was not as cynical, and we were in a in a greater, an authentic national emergency in 1864. But but um, uh, politicians use they play the war card shamelessly. We're speaking with John R. MacArthur. The book is You Can't Be President, The Outrageous Barriers to Democracy in America. And in the regard of war, uh, does that mean we're headed to one uh, with Pakistan fairly soon? Well, the conventional wisdom among people who who thought that uh, Bush would try to start another war in order to help McCain win uh, thought we'd attack Iran or encourage the Israelis to attack Iran. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. It's always a possibility. Ahmadinejad could stupidly provoke or provide Bush with a, a pretext for attacking uh, at any moment. You never know, because he's very unstable. But uh, uh, in terms of just raw, cynical, political, uh, politically motivated war, um, I don't see it happening until after the election. Uh, I don't see. I just don't think it's going to happen. Okay. I don't think Bush, and I don't think Bush. This is something I talk a lot about in the in the in the book. Is that there is a there is a split in the Republican Party right now, and there's a split in the Democratic Party. Hillary Clinton doesn't want Obama to win, and I don't think Bush wants McCain to win. So I don't know that McCain that Bush really wants to do McCain any favors well, at this what, point. What exactly is going on between uh, between Hillary? And Obama, what's what is why is there such a, uh, a a rift between the two of them? Well, the, the the Clintons were the bosses of the party there for 16 years, and they thought they were entitled to uh, to uh, the, getting the White House back uh, with Hillary as president. The, uh, the 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 I tell in detail the story of 2004, where Hillary again uh, it was too early for her to run, so she had to do her level best to keep Howard Dean from getting the nomination because she saw him as a threat uh, to her power within the party. And if he won, which some people thought he could have done, uh, they thought Bush was uh, was quite vulnerable to Dean. The polls show it, uh, and the Republicans were very worried about Dean. Um, uh, she had to make sure that she looked like she was supporting the Democratic ticket while really undermining it. So she... Uh, I think encouraged a 527 to form. You know what the 527s are? These political yeah, yeah. these committees that can uh, raise money from anybody in any sums to do advertising on their own Is without she, affiliation it, yeah. with a with a with a candidate. Right. And a, a Democratic 527 went into Iowa uh, with a lot of money from uh, people close to the Clintons, including 
the founder of SlimFast, uh, a guy named Danny Abraham, who gave a couple hundred thousand dollars. And they did attack advertising against Dean in Iowa. At the same time, a Republican political action committee called the Club for Growth did their own attack advertising against Dean because they were afraid of Dean. They wanted to knock him out. Uh, so there was a consensus, uh, maybe not uh, spoken between the two parties, that Dean was a threat to the power structure and a threat to everybody. And the Republicans want, didn't want to see him run against Bush, and the Democrats, uh, uh, particularly Clinton, preferred having a weaker candidate like Kerry. Kerry was equivocal on the war, wouldn't come out against it. He was a weak candidate. And, uh, and, and I think that the Clintons... Uh, were very involved in, in undermining Dean so he would not become the nominee. Same thing with Bush and McCain. They detest one another going back to the 2000 uh, campaign. As bad as McCain is on so many things, he's, <laughs> he's not as bad as Bush. Uh, and he has a little bit more of an independent streak from the party. He's not a party regular. Uh, uh, he makes a lot of compromises, but he's not the same sort of party regular that Bush is. And so the the party doesn't trust him, and the the I describe again for people who've forgotten the 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 South Carolina primary, which was crucial in two thousand, and the incredible things that Bush and his proxies said about McCain, even calling him a coward, which I don't think <laughs> I don't think that's an accusation a, a coward during Vietnam. I don't think that's an accusation that could could really stand up in court. Uh, so. Um, there is infighting within the parties, but you and I are not uh, are not allowed to participate in this. Uh, uh, there are factional fights, but that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't uh, is not the equivalent of uh, popular participation in politics. It, the, the, what you describe, what you were describing earlier with uh, Howard Dean and and Hillary Clinton, uh, I having been around uh, Democratic Party politics for a long time, I can tell you that in my mind, the Clintons in many ways, wanted the absolute control of the Democratic Party, uh, and they destroyed uh, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party in the process. But what you describe with Dean and Clinton has to do with money. Yeah. It, it, because Dean represented a, another way of uh, financing campaigns that wasn't the same uh, investment banker, well-heeled people. Right. And I think that that – there's a, what, I, what I'm hearing in your description is – these people that they that are considered not the right stuff, in right. a way that 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 uh, even if they do manage to establish their uh, credentials within these Democratic Republican parties, there's still another threshold that they have to meet, which is this sort of patrician kind of threshold that they need to to be able to. And the and the Clintons have spent most of their political career trying to crash into this class, right. and they finally made it, and and they'll be damned if they're going to give it up. Exactly, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't even call it patrician. I would just call it it's about power. I yeah. mean, yeah, may, they associate with patrician types in order to maintain power. But uh, this is all detailed in my book. That the, the dean dean invented internet fundraising, right. and uh, Obama's he, kind he of a hybrid. He didn't invent he didn't invent uh, financing a campaign with small contributions. That's really invented by George McGovern, yeah. and I, I have a little section on that because McGovern also. Uh, the fact that McGovern was able to raise so much money in small contributions, we're talking back then, $25 uh, in 1972, was a threat to the power of the central Democratic Party, which relied, as you said, on, on the heavy hitters, on the millionaires who would, who would give him uh, 100000 or $500,000. Dean comes along, 
and does the same thing. Instead of with junk mail, he does it with the Internet. And 60% of his, uh, whatever it was, uh, 50 or $60 million he raised, which was phenomenal, uh, came from small contributions. We're talking 200 or less. Uh, it, Obama's nowhere near that proportion in terms of individual contributions. So, the, so as I, ta- I interviewed various party functionaries who said, uh, the real objection to Dean is that he's got this independent fundraising base, which uh, removes uh, the leverage of the Clintons, yeah. undermines the leverage of the Clintons, no. which is all based on on uh, now, raising money from the richest and most powerful people in the country. Now, the real effect of this, and there, I mean, this is sort of <clears throat> inside the you know inside the Beltway kind of. People will say, oh, that, that's just how the game is played. But the real effect to me is that when people, when we go around the world uh, fighting, waging wars to bring democracy and all of the attendant benefits to these other countries around the world, it's not that difficult for somebody to look over here and see how cynical that message really is. And that the idea of democracy that we portray it to be isn't in anywhere near the democracy that we have functioning today in terms of the ability of people to rise up and to make their voices heard. Am I, is that overstating the, the, the argument? Yeah, it, it, uh, our, our, our pitiful, oftenly, often pitiful uh, attempts at appearing democratic uh, serve as propaganda fodder for the, for the uh, radical anti-Americans uh, around the world, but also to, this, to the Europeans who are a little bit you know, would like to be allies of the United States, but over and over again we insult them and and make them and try to make them feel uh, less important than we are. They, they're offended by the hypocrisy. They can see how corrupt our elections are and how difficult it is to get access to the to the uh, to the democratic process. So it it, it, it it we set the opposite of a good example. We set a very bad example, and it gives aid and comfort to the people who don't like America. Uh, it's it's not good foreign policy. As a, it's not just bad for our 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 sense of ourselves and our and our ability to to govern ourselves. It also it's very bad foreign policy. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've run out of. I time. just had one more question. Yeah, this yeah. is sure. Um, how would you characterize Lynn Rothschild's jump? Is does that just pretty much epitomize the the you can't be president uh, philosophy? Yeah, I put that I put that in the uh, in the book because I, I was scanning uh, toward the end. I had to write this very fast at the end. I had a terrible deadline, and I wanted to get more concrete examples of the Clinton faction refusing to go over to the Obama faction. And Lynn, Linda Rothschild is a good example. Where she's a she's a fundraiser. She was a major fundraiser for Hillary Clinton, who right after uh, Clinton conceded. Uh, uh, had a meeting with uh, Carly Carla Fiorini. Is it? Excuse me, Carl. Yeah, you're right. Car- you Carla Fiorini. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Who is one of the leading? Uh, she's a leading fundraiser for McCain, and announced very loudly that she was not going to be incorporated into the Obama uh, fundraising apparatus. Uh, and so, if one major fundraiser like that is shooting her mouth off, uh, you can be pretty sure that a lot of quieter people behind the scenes are refusing to cooperate with Obama. Now, he's got a lot of money. He's raised a lot of money. Money is not the biggest problem. The bigger problem is that they are the leading edge of this wet, you know, this this faction and and it's got a lot of people in it who just are either not going to vote or are going to vote for McCain. Yeah. Uh and uh 
uh, Sarah Palin, I thought, uh, they keep saying that she was um, uh, nominated to shore up the right-wing base. That may be true, but I think it was also a very clever uh, maneuver to sort of uh, to, to siphon off some Hillary Clinton voters. Yeah. One of the things we're not talking about in this race, you'll notice, is abortion. Right. And uh, uh, it's just dropped off the table, legal, whether we're going to have legal abortion or not, or whether we're going to appoint justices at the Supreme Court who support illegal abortion. And uh, there are a lot of Hillary Clinton supporters who were either ambivalent about abortion or secretly against it, against legal abortion. Mm-hmm. And she gives them an excuse to vote for McCain. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I, I, we're, we are out of time. Um, the book is uh, You Can't Be President, the Outrageous Barriers to Democracy in America. Uh, John MacArthur, before you get away, i got to tell you, I, I was in a, involved in a presidential campaign in 1992, uh, in New Hampshire for four months, and one of my, the most memorable experiences of that time there was I spent two hours in a hotel room with with Eugene McCarthy um, near in his last uh, effort to make a make a dent in the American uh, political system, and it was one of the most memorable times uh, episodes of my life. I just I know, know you had some experiences with him, and that I just wanted to pass that along. I'm delighted to hear that because he was a he became a good friend of mine, and toward the and he's all over my book as yeah, you'll you'll yeah. you've probably seen. Yeah. And he wrote a lot about the two, the problem of two party collusion yeah. and how desperately we needed a third party. Yeah. Well, uh, it was so it, anyway. uh, to spend. I mean, literally Great all man. alone in a hotel yeah, room absolutely. with Eugene McCarthy was uh, was something else. And You're thank lucky. you, thank you so much, uh, John R. McCarthy. The book you can't be president. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Take- To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals.